You're listening to The Big Picture with Edwin Eisentraff on WCPT 820. Well, as I promised, Jill Lawrence is back. She is, of course, a longtime opinion writer, book author. She's helped all of us better understand, well, ourselves, our politics, the work of government, American passions, American society. It's what really good writers do. Hi, Jill. Welcome back. Hi, Edwin. Thanks for having me at such a time. Well, you know, I sort of feel like you and I can just pick up the conversation where we left off, except that you've written a lot in the past couple of weeks. And, oh, my gosh, the world has changed in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, well, Republican dysfunction hasn't changed much, but the Middle East sure has. I, let me just about that. The Republican dysfunction hasn't changed, but the importance of Republican dysfunction has become clearer. Right. I mean, this is the first time this great democracy does not have a legislature. You know, the founders were pretty smart. It was Article One. We don't have a national legislature for the first time ever. So we can't properly we can't properly help our friends. We can't uh, solve problems uh, here at home. We can't make the decisions we need to make about our own border. I mean, the administration is doing what it can, but this is meant to be a democracy that is, you know, where the legislature matters. Shame on them. Well, it's true. I mean, it's not a surprise. They don't like compromise and they can't do math. They don't accept, I'm talking about the MAGA Republicans, the hardest liners, they, they don't seem to accept that there are many different kinds of people in this country and, and probably in their states, almost certainly in their states, and yet they won't compromise, they won't agree to the give and take, they don't acknowledge that they only have a teeny majority in the House, they don't control the Senate. I, there are a couple of people controlling things in the Senate on the Republican side because the Senate has bad rules. Uh, you know, the reason that uh, there's uh, vacancies in military positions and, and, and delays on promotions and delays on ambassadorships and that sort of thing. That's because one single person can, can hold up the works. And right now, it's only Republicans that are doing that. And I don't know what the answer is. I, I don't know how. I mean, the answer, obviously, is at election time when they should be voted out. But right now, things are much more urgent than that, both overseas and also in terms of our own government functioning. Well, you said for a minute it's the MAGA Republicans who are standing away and they're not all that way. We're going to see if they're not all that way, Jill. They've got, you know, it would take, what, four of them to say, okay, we give up. We, we're, we, we, we don't think that it's, it's more important to let the world work, burn down than to ever work with a Democrat. Because, we, you know, they've had, what, 11 days to do this on their own, this urgent issue. And if they can't, four of them need to peel off and let uh, the Democrats work with them, work with them. Well, you know, if there was ever a time when we're going to see uh, whether, as many are skeptical, the centrists have a backbone, it'll be now. And the fact that Jim Jordan is at this moment, and who knows for how long the moment will be, the speaker nominee from the Republican Party is just beyond belief. Absolutely beyond belief. Take a minute and tell everybody why it's beyond belief. Just in case somebody's been living under a rock, tell them who Jim Jordan is. Uh, 
Okay, well, okay, I've been writing about this for a long time. So, in July of 2021, probably nobody but me remembers that Nancy Pelosi said no to Jim Jordan and Jim Banks on the January 6th commission because he was a bully and a showboat. He, you know, would come to hearings and interrupt constantly and talk over people and not let anyone speak. He was a disruptor. That's just who he was and to some extent still is. And I, you know, he, he's trying to be a team player, but the fact is that she needed a serious investigation. She wanted, she, she knew the country needed a serious investigation into January 6th and he was not going to allow it. And, and, and having Jim Banks was not on the panel was not going to allow it to happen. I mean, these were people, Jim Banks said that Trump was the best president in his lifetime, uh, possibly in history. I don't remember what, (laughs) in any case, something a lot of people would disagree with. Right. And, uh, Jim Jordan was one of Trump's biggest defenders on this, and it later came out that he was one of the uh, chief objectors, you know, and and chief uh, communicators in terms of trying to get Mike Pence to do the wrong thing on January 6th. This is this is one of the things that uh, investigators found out. But uh, you know, he is uh, the kind of guy that John Boehner, a former speaker, called the legislative terrorist. And, you know, he just has a hammer that he deals with. And, in fact, um, Kevin McCarthy, who was just deposed by by eight people as speaker, he got the job in part by promising Jim Jordan that he could have a weaponization committee to talk about the weaponization of government. And this is just, Something he knows you know, a lot about, for sure. Well, exactly. He 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 was going to accuse Democrats of weaponizing the government against conservatives, and in, and and you know, the I, I wrote about this for the Bulwark, and it's just like you know, give me a break. The government is not weaponized against anyone. If Trump had some troubles, that's because he deserved them. At least that's my view. But you know, it's 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 just. Uh, beyond belief that this guy would be in position. You know, I, yeah. I remember writing very long ago, this will this will age me, but when Bob Kerry was in the Senate, he was kind of a rebel, you know. He was for Social Security Forum when most Democrats were not, and he was always sort of kicking up, you know, little little disputes and, and fights against the party line. So they made him chairman of the Senate, the Democratic Senate Campaign Committee, and uh you know, they put him on the team, and he became a team player. Now, I am I am not so sure that that's what would happen with Jim Jordan. I, I just well, don't think that yeah. that's who he is. That is a that is a strong catalog of um, of of failure that you've described for Jim Jordan. Two other things come to mind, of course. This is a man that I think the Republicans think should be the leader of the House. Is a man who has defied a House subpoena. So he doesn't really think very much of the institution. He still defined the subpoena. He just refused, right, to participate over his uh-huh, problems uh-huh. in uh, January 6th. And I believe in his long career, he has never passed, let, let leave aside, made it into law. He's never even had the House pass one bill that he has, uh, right. uh, that he has done. He's an utter legislative failure. Well, you know, the other thing is that, I mean, we could probably go on, but one amazing thing that's been happening lately is his 
fight with Fannie Willis in Atlanta because he doesn't understand the separation of powers and the fact that state governments don't have to respond to his subpoenas. So he keeps asking for everything she has in her Trump investigation, which is huge and um, and barely begun. And and uh, she keeps telling him that he doesn't understand that he, he, she can't do that and he has no right to ask for it because she's not working for him. She's not subject she's, to his oversight. And the letters are pretty funny, actually, but he just they keeps are, trying. The letters are great. But let me, let me ask you this, because I have a, I have a sense that he actually does know uh, that he has no authority. But it's his view, and the reason why he might get support from a lot of the members, it's his view of Congress. And it's his view of the leadership of Congress, that the job of the leader of Congress, of the Republicans, is to create opportunities for his members to get their couple minutes on Fox. He's to create opportunities for people to say outrageous things so that their base will will um, get ginned up. And that's his view of the job. And if that's his view, he is succeeding in it. Well, the problem is that about 20 people, I think, in their four- or five-person majority, one in districts that Biden won, and some uh, some by very little, and there are more competitive districts than that where they could stand to lose. So if you have a centrist or a moderate or even, you know, kind of just a non-MAGA normal Republican who votes for someone who's going to shut down the government and defund Ukraine aid and that sort of thing, the Democrats have a huge case to make against that person in the next election. Now, if they don't, if if, if they go along with their party, the, the Democrats, I mean, and if they don't go along with their party, then they're going to be primaried. And so it seems to me that it's lose-lose for them. So why not go down on principle? You know, why not go down for what you really believe? Yeah, well, but I still don't know what that is, because is it is it not help our allies? Is it like complain about the border, but not be but be absent when it comes time to, you know, fund extra security well, down there? Like, what I'm is it they're for? The, well, I'm talking about the relative moderates who are, you know, for rational government and probably were for the deal that McCarthy made with Biden and for the stopgap budget bill, yeah. you know, that will uh, that that kept the government open. And, you know, so they could they could fully, you know, get on board with someone who was going to be like that. And there are people who whose names have been floated uh, for, you know, they could they could stand their ground against Jordan. And then he doesn't um, then what happens, I, Joe. Where where well, are we? How long is this charade going to? How long are we not going to have a Congress in the United States? How long? That's an interesting question. I mean, the other the other uh, thing that people have been flo- well, I saw Bill Crystal floated this. One of my colleagues at the Bulwark. Um, he said that four centrist Republicans should vote for Hakeem Jeffries as speaker, the Democratic leader. And so the House would have a Democratic speaker, but the Republicans would have a majority. And so on issues important to conservatives, including the ones from the swing districts, for instance, budgets and that sort of thing, then they could vote to keep the Democrats in check. Now, that's, you know, who the hell knows? That sounds as crazy as everything else, but I mean, if I were, you know, if I were a person, say, from Philadelphia area or any of these swing districts, what what are you going to do? You're going to vote for Jim Jordan? Are you kidding me? Can't vote for Jim Jordan, but look, the time, the government, we have, (laughs) 
We have appropriations bills, and today they've passed what zero of them, one of them. I don't even remember, right? And and that's time's running out. We are we have allies at war in Europe and in the Middle East. In um, we're going to have a humanitarian disaster in Gaza that all of which requires American leadership in the world. And the president is giving it. I think he's doing a great job. But our system of government is not one where the president gets to act alone in everything. We need Congress. Well, it's true we do, although there was a fascinating idea that I must say two of my friends put out in the Hill today about about Biden unfreezing Russian assets in, in the United States and giving them to Ukraine. And Ukraine apparently has about $5 billion left, um, which is about two months of, uh, for, to, of military support. But there's 20 to $35 billion that are frozen Russian assets that, that theoretically Biden could send their way. And um, apparently there's a legal case to be made for this because the argument that Russia would have would be its sovereignty. But how do you make that argument when you've invaded another country? <laughs> You yeah, know, it's, it's, it's interesting. interesting. I mean, the workarounds are all, there are a lot of them, but they're all workarounds. They all take time. They're all distraction, right? The amount of wisdom and ingenuity it takes to figure out how to, like, not go backwards when we don't have a legislature is is all a waste of time. I just, well, I don't want to solve right. the, the problem for up. these people. Yeah. I mean, all Let me the ask you a different question. The, yeah. I'm sorry. Would, 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 no, no, would a house, would a house, Republican House led by Jim Jordan, right? They that would be the House mm-hmm. until the next election. Is that House? Well, that's right. Going to certify a Democrat winning the White House ever, or are they going to are they going to uh, try and cheat again? I mean, would you give them that power? Have they earned that power? Well, they shouldn't have it. I mean, the voters rejected that in many, many, many states in 2022. It's, um, but, you know, I mean, I've tweeted, I've said things online that, you know, I said, I said, I know that I, that, that the Republicans would never do this, but they should pledge that, that anyone who becomes speaker needs to pledge that they will accept the election results next year. You know, yeah. and and they they will never make that person yeah. pledge that, and and now they've got somebody who you know <laughs> five days after January sixth, Trump gave him the Medal of Honor. I mean, you know, or it's was it the Medal of Freedom, the Medal of Honor? He gave him some extremely important medal. Uh, why? I don't know. <laughs> For standing by him, I guess. I'm. Um... Um, I, I'm so appalled, but I just don't think, look, I um, I lean to the left, not very far, but far enough to make me not a Republican on, on policy questions, right? But but the, mm-hmm. I don't feel that this is a, cons- I mean, the Liz Cheney's of the world convince me that this isn't a policy question because she and I don't agree on how to run the country, but she's a proven to be a patriot who cares about the country and we can disagree and that's okay. But these other guys, I, I just, I just don't think, I don't understand the hatred of Democrats. I guess that's the only thing that could possibly, they must really believe that you and I and 
every other person who's like us in the country is like actually molesting children in some basement. They must believe that nonsense. Well, because otherwise, the, there's know, no justification. It's just a slice, and it's unfortunately the Trump slice, and it's, you know, he does nothing to discourage any of that and everything to encourage it, trying to have deniability. I mean, I live a couple blocks from the Comet Pizza joint where a gunman came up and tried to, you know, save the children in the basement from slavery, sex slavery, except there is no basement, and there were no children, there was no sex slavery, and he was extremely bewildered um, (laughs) after scaring the crap out of the neighborhood. You know, it's it's just, in a way, it's sad, but it's, it's dangerous, dangerous to do this. People, you just don't know who's listening and following through. Right? So 100% of this, I mean, a lot of this show today, the first part before you got on, all about moral courage and what it means to have it and how important it is. At this moment, you know, I want to beg every Republican, look in the mirror. This isn't a hard choice. It's one that requires a certain kind of courage, but it's not hard. And if you, if you decide that you don't want, that you care about the democracy, if you decide that you care about how America can help in the rest of the world in a time of need, walk away from the fantasy and the craziness. It's just, it, it from, went for the party you. too. You know what? If the party can't remake itself, America needs a conservative party, a right of center party. It just does. Those of us on the left of center will get things terribly wrong if we're not in debate all the time with a right of center party that has a different view. It's a healthy debate when it's a healthy debate. So America needs that. And if the Republicans can reconfigure their party to be that again, more power to them. I don't think they can. This week, we also had the loss of Kevin Phillips. He died this week. And Kevin Phillips Mm -hmm. is responsible for the moment we're in. I mean, this is probably heresy, but I would say Democrats are already having that debate within their party with people like Joe Manchin. Uh, So, you know, he's keeping Democrats in check. That's right. We might be two parties. Maybe so. I mean, I'm sure I'm certain that some of these centrist Republicans in the House could. Well, they have their problem solvers caucus. There's a bunch of people who, you know, are in the middle there. And Manchin certainly. I don't even know if he's in the middle. He's somewhere between uh, center and right of center, I think. But yeah. you know, I mean, I think there is a debate going on. The problem is, it's just been you know just derailed by and, and uh, detoured by this other stuff that's so dangerous that everybody has to focus on it all the time. And I, I don't know what you're. I mean, if if four people don't vote for Jim Jordan and they do vote for Hakeem Jeffries, then okay, fine. But if they just don't vote. I, I just, you know, I, I don't know where we're going to be. The paralysis is terrible. Um, but I think that there are ways. I mean, there's talk about all these technical things in the House, like a discharge petition. There are, there are ways to get things moving. And, you know, they're, they're, like, for instance, if the Senate passes a foreign aid bill for Ukraine and Israel and, all right, border, border security, because that's something that will bring some Republicans on board in the Senate and maybe even the House. So there's chances to do things. I'm sorry I'm sounding like a kind of a Congress wonk here, but, um, you know, it's it, there are such big questions. And when you talk about moral courage, 
that is a very interesting concept in, at the time of this war in Israel. Um, it's it's a very interesting concept because people are people are arguing about what is moral courage and moral clarity and moral consistency, and people are getting caught up in language, you know, and and offended by language or being afraid to say things, and it's you know it's it's um, a very tough time internationally. We'll talk about that more because that is a profoundly important topic and so difficult and painful. And if you're willing, let's explore it a little. Well, sure. I mean, I have a, a friend I used to work with here in Washington whose family is in Israel and she lives in Israel. She just happened to be visiting a daughter in Scotland at the time. I wrote about this for Bulwark. You wrote about it. And I also yeah, have beautiful. my best... Thank you. My uh, high school, I have my best friend in high school, in junior high school, has a daughter living in Israel, and her husband is, uh, you know, in the military. Her brother-in-law is in the military. This is the daughter. Um, and, you know, her, one of uh, her things that she said in the initial um, email to me was, those who have been working for peace and Palestinian rights don't even have the option of channeling their shock and terror into a desire for indiscriminate vengeance. I mean, what a line, you know? It's, it kind of captures a lot of the conflicts and, and, uh, and the care. I mean, I've seen people writing things publicly on, on some social media platforms that they say it's taken them four days to figure out how to say it. You know, it's, it's just it's a very fraught time. Very different from Ukraine, as I pointed out in my piece, where it's just such a black and white, you know, one side was the aggressor, one side was the victim, and that is that. You know, it's, it's, um, and the other thing that's so awful about what's happening now in Israel and, and the Palestinian territories is that the history is so filled with tragic failures to deliver and to make progress. You know, the two-state solution that Biden even recently said he really thinks is the best way forward just doesn't even seem to be available at all anymore. You know, you just, yeah. I mean, obviously, we don't know how this will end. But. I, so, so I, in order to have the kind of courage that I'm talking about, you have to be able to say two things at once that aren't in conflict, but are difficult to keep in mind at the same time. The indiscriminate nature of the slaughter of innocent people at Hamas's hands is unacceptable in any, in any scenario and un, uh, inexcusable um, any, in any moral world. Uh, that, you, I think you can hold that without, um, uh, without reservation and say the status quo for the Palestinian people is unacceptable and has to be addressed in a humane way uh, and, and, and not another 70 years from now, but immediately. They're, they're not right. Although think, right? the most the most immediate thing is that uh, the president said, you know, our countries, you know, Israel and America, we abide by the rule of law, the laws of war. But but how do you do that in a jam packed Gaza Strip that you're you know tearing through? I mean, already it seems to me there 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 are problems with that because of 
the amount of civilians that have been killed, in, you know, not not just for the sake of killing them, but in in pursuit of you know justice for their own people, but the the Israel Israeli people. I mean, I'm probably getting in a quagmire here, but and probably many people will disagree with me and say they're offended, so I better stop. But you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like how, how do you follow the laws of war when you're when in a, in a situation like this where the governing authority is you know has is terrorist well we had experience in fallujah the united states did it was awful yes and gaza's worse yes um but this is what that is and um you know and as i suggested earlier on the show jill said look israel could could make themselves safe by bombing gaza entirely and just pushing back the border so that there's no possible way to make a tunnel. Um, but they're not going to do that. They're going to put their own society at risk. They're going to call up, you know, the, their sons, their brothers, their sisters, their uncles, their fathers, and send them door to door in Gaza trying to separate Hamas from the Palestinians. And they'll die doing it. Um, it's, uh, I mean, that that. Right. It's very, it's very painful and very hard, no matter how you look at it. I mean, I have, I have family in Israel, but for years, my business partner is Palestinian and one of the most wonderful people I know. Right. And he doesn't, and his family had to leave there. And the town that his, his family name is, is gone because of things that happened in 1948. There's a history of tragedy there, but, but, Again, what courage requires is that you is that you put the tragedy behind and have the strength to build a future. Well, I think you're right about that. And I mean, you know, I guess, you know, the question I keep asking is who has the moral high ground? And I don't know if it's that's a different question. And I don't know if it's anyone. I mean, I think moral courage is a better way to look at this at this point and less sort of uh, fraught with possibilities for misunderstanding and judgments. Yeah, right. They both need need the the courage. They all need the courage. Yep. Well, Jill, um, we'll do this again sometime. (laughs) And someday we'll do it. We'll do it with with unreserved joy at the decisions our governments are making and the path that we're on together to move the world forward. That day is not yet today. Right. Well, I'll be thinking of you Monday when the House votes. Um, Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. That was a fabulous Jill Lawrence. Thank you. We will. You bet. You bet. We we will be um, back in a moment um, with another remarkable writer who's um, uh, paid a great deal of attention to America, the Pulitzer Prize winning columnist, Will Bunch. Stay tuned. 